Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, We're in a series on Ephesians, we're talking about life together. This week in particular, again, I didn't plan it this way, but I feel like the background of the passage we're reading or have read has something to say to just the divisiveness in our world. And I uh, hope that becomes clear as we move along. But we were, uh, this, this, we, I took this picture. It was um, well into like virtual school for us, right? So the girls are in second grade. She has a twin sister who, as you can see, is not in that picture. So at some point in their like iPad experience, we were kind of in the realm of like, we created a little space for them. They were close enough. They were getting feedback all the time if one of them tried to talk, you know, like microphones and, and all that jazz. And finally, uh, this is Penn. And she said, I, I, I need some space. And this was her solution. Uh, went by herself into the yard, just within the realm and reach of Wi-Fi, and then continued uh, her class. Like, I just, I just need a little more space. And I think uh, our reading this morning is, is full, uh, what Aaron read for us, it's full of that kind of move. I just need some space. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's full of distance. Uh, if you just, just a glance at the words uh, that show up, uh, particularly at the front end, but all the way through the passage, words like, all right, words like separated, alienated, strangers, far off, dividing walls of hostility, far off, strangers, aliens, again, repeated. I mean, there is, you, you get a really clear sense Right from the start, uh, Paul in, in this letter giving us our bearings. Right once, once again, much as he's done in previous weeks, working really hard to root us in the truth. In this case, uh, right, it's very similar to previous truths, uh, with the slight nuance uh, that we are far from God. Yes, as we've seen previously, but in this case, telling us we're not only far from God, but that separation from God has led to a, a division uh, among each other. That, we're, that we are that we are on our own, far from God, and far from one another. Distance, right? Distance. Uh, Previously, the language we saw was lifelessness, was death. We're on on our own, like there is no life. But this week, the language shifts a little bit. This week, he says, without God, that we we are fractured and broken. We're not only far from God, but we are far, far from one another. And there's some context that I hope, I hope uh, would be helpful, um, And helping us uh, hear uh, Paul as he kind of walks through this experience of human reality. And uh, in in, in our case, there's a really specific kind of New Testament and Old Testament context that that he's talking about here. And and if you've been around, these are probably terms that you know. But uh, again, just to kind of help us situate ourselves, uh, what, what Paul picks up language here of Jew and Gentile. Uh, language that had resonance, you know, Jesus himself was kind of bumping into this distinction, uh, this differentiation in his own time, but existed long before him. And at the risk of, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it kind of a Cliff's Notes version here. Uh, but, right, you know the story that way back in the Old Testament, God marked out a people. He, he chose, just, he, he chose someone uh, that would become a people and a people through whom he would express his character and goodness, not only to the world, but for the world. It wouldn't just be like, hey, this is what it looks like uh, to be righteous, but, but rather this is, this is an expression of that goodness, not just to the world, but for 
the world. And, and the markers of that people became uh, circumcision, which popped up in the passage here, but also the law which is language that we saw in, in our reading, the, the law, the commandments. Think, again, if you're kind of new to church, but think like 10 commandments here, right? There's all sorts of other laws kind of in and around those, but, but it was this marker, not only in a physical sense, but also in a kind of a, a moral expression to the world of this is what my good character will look like, uh, not only in, but for the world. And these markers became very clear defining lines uh, that became Jew and Gentile sort of markers of, of belonging, this is, these are those things, and everyone outside, uh, and Gentile. In the sense, right, which is where Paul will land in this passage, in the Old Testament, it, it was the sense that that division just begins to grow such that like being uh, distanced uh, from the people of God, right, by these markers, these clear markers, this is what it means to be in and out, all, all that kind of stuff, uh, that the distance from the people of God uh, ultimately, consequently, meant being distanced from the presence of God. Particularly the Old Testament, it was through his people where his presence would live and reside. Uh, and, and so to be separated from, from the people, you know, consequently, was a separation from God himself. And both of those truths, those realities, show up in our reading this morning. It's, it's into that tension that Paul is talking that these clear lines of in and out and, and all that and uh, but ultimately he says the truth is that uh, because of sin as we'll see and all of this brokenness that uh, that we are far from God but also far from one another and and the the kind of stamp on all of that uh, is that we were without hope without God and consequently without hope in the world he says again a really kind of honestly stark picture uh, of, of life left to ourselves, this is what life looks like. He gets really specific uh, in verse 14 and, and, and references like a wall of hostility, a, a wall that, that has an actual physical reference point for Paul as he's writing to, to these first Christians who are themselves wrestling with, we're Jew, you're Gentile, how do we all fit together? For, for ages past, like, there have been very clear lines between us here. So what does it mean now to, to kind of live under one roof? And, and, and it has caused all sorts of problems. The, the whole book of Acts, much of it deals with kind of wrestling through that tension. And in our reading, this wall of hostility, uh, a wall that uh, Herod the Great would have, would have built shortly before the, the, the arrival of Jesus, uh, around 20 BC, uh, in rebuilding the temple after Babylon had come in and, and made a mess of things, Herod rebuilding this magnificent work. And a part of that structure was the wall of hostility, right? That, that gets labeled that here. But a wall that uh, in the structure of the temple, uh, bits of it, uh, recently discovered with inscriptions that speak precisely to this tension. If you'll think of kind of concentric sort of levels of availability and the further out you got, eventually you came to a wall that was somewhat uh, set somewhat down uh, a series of steps uh, from the temple and at its fur furthest most kind of extension where, you, where, where people in this, the court of the Gentiles, as it was called, could turn and look and see the temple but an inscription on that wall said, if you were a foreigner, you, you, you move beyond this point at your own risk of death. You take your life into your own hands, in a sense. So uh, again, right up into the very climate and culture in which Jesus has arrived, and to whom people to whom Paul is writing this tension, this division uh, that, that speaks 
uh, to the brokenness that exists in humanity, even when given uh, the law and all of the ways in which we can live into expressing God's goodness, still making a mess of things. Paul himself, actually, in Acts, you'll read a story where uh, it's around chapter 20 or 21, I believe, Acts, uh, Paul will uh, get into trouble with Jewish rulers uh, for precisely, he's accused of taking a Gentile beyond this barrier and uh, creating like, like tension and, and problems in his life. And you're like, Matt, what does any of this have to do with me, right? Overland Park, right? What, what are you talking about? Kansas City, like what, this is great and all, but why is this relevant to my life? Well, I just, again, as we've done each week, I think it's really important. Paul has spent all of this time, he's gonna turn to like ethical imperatives, like how we love and, and how we treat people, but he's just devoting all of this time to, to grounding our feet in this truth that by ourselves we are far from God and far from each other we we are really good at making a mess of things historically presently that has not changed this is the truth that humanity Paul says is broken we are broken the verdict then for him is not good we are far from God far from God's people having no hope again without God in the world I mean, I know, I know, right? It's a bit of a like Debbie Downer kind of space. But, but I think Paul is rightfully so uh, recognizes that we, we tend to want to run away from that truth, particularly if we've sort of stepped into the grace of God at any point in our lives. Uh, a lot of times the tendency is kind of run away from that truth and that leads to all sorts of self-righteous problems. And Paul is rooting his readers and us in the, the reality that the honest assessment of the brokenness of our lives and the world, uh, the word we could use that has resonance today is distance. There is all kinds of distance. Us and God, us and each other. And in the middle of all of that, right? So all of that brokenness, maybe you have felt human brokenness in your own homes and families and relationships and friendships. Goodness knows we've bumped into it as, as tensions in the world have intensified. We, we feel those same tensions in the community here, the conflict and tension and, and all of that in the midst of all of that brokenness. As we're reading here in Paul, Paul laying it out clear, uh, there are sharp lines of division here. And then he gets, and then he gets to this beautiful conjunction uh, right here in the middle, verse 13, but but now, he says, but, but now. He, he's noting a shift again as he's done over and over again. This is how things are. This is the truth. But with one exception, there has been a, a significant shift in this storyline. And he doesn't follow it with, but now we have all learned how to live together in harmony. Right? But now we have all done a really good job. We've kind of figured out the nuances of human relationship. And we've worked our way around these religious differences and ethnic differences. All of these sort of things playing in. He doesn't say any of that. He says, but now Christ. And once again, right, once again, Paul hits us with the truth that all of the work all of the work in, in, in moving us from death to life, or in this case, from distance to nearness, from brokenness in our walk with God and each other to, to wholeness and, and togetherness, all of it, he says, but now Christ, all of it is God's work in Christ, that we on our own, we are far from God and each other, but Christ has brought us near to God and one another. It sounds like they're having a good time in there. Uh, you guys are like, I want to be near to that, but it's all right. Uh, 
yeah, you know, it's my wife's actually in there, so it's always a good time, but uh, yeah, you can, uh, anyway, she's not quite as fun as Todd, but I'll stop now and get back to what we were talking about. I can feel my sister saying, Matt, get back on track, but uh, anyway, uh, so just think about the images that pop up in the rest of the passage, all right, so, you know, we started with alienated strangers, all that kind of jazz. Uh, listen, listen to what happens after the but now Christ, right? these are the words that show up, peace, Repeatedly, citizens, like family, household, temple, built together. There's a shift in the, in the tone, in the reality of like lived human experience. Like this is what it's like without Christ, broken and fractured in our walk with him and in each other. But somehow through Christ, that shifts and changes. He is, Paul says, our peace. Jesus brings peace. He closes the distance. If you will allow me uh, a bit of indulgence, Jesus crosses the aisle, right? He, he moves across boundaries and barriers that, that, that we find often too difficult to cross our, ourselves. Jesus brings peace. Paul says, the work is his. He, he, in what he has done, as he'll unpack here for us, in what he has done, he has shifted the, the, the landscape of, of, of our lives as humans, the way that we relate to God, but also to each other. Notice the, the language he says here is that he comes and abolishes the law and, and its kind of attachments and commandments. I, interestingly, Jesus himself says, I, I haven't come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. And I think what, what Paul is getting at, scholars, that what he's saying here is that what Jesus has done in this moment and coming, not that he's like dismissed it, but, but, but stepped into all that the law morally would require of us, all the ways it, it just kind of weighs on us, Ways in which we inevitably fall short, even our best intentions often tainted with, with human brokenness and sin. Jesus steps, steps into to our inability to live up to that or into that and himself carries that weight, all the regulations, all the condemnation that might come from, from failing to live up to it. Jesus bears all of that. And, and the result of that is that, is that through his work, Paul says, what, what we find is he opens a way into peace for us. That, that in, even despite all of our worst repeated failures of living up to and, and, and into the law, because of what he has done, we step into his, his work, but now Christ. And what we find there are his shoulders bearing the moral weight of, of all of that goodness. I think, you know, we, we talk about having issues with, with the law and righteousness. We, we really don't. I mean, there's something in us that wants evil to be fixed. Sometimes we have trouble sort of seeing it in ourselves, but we want injustice and evil and brokenness to be fixed. But history tells us we are notoriously bad at it. And yet Jesus, under the weight of that, that expression of righteousness and goodness, of justice, finding its clear and honest expression in the world, Jesus bears that weight. And in so doing, brings us, right? He opens the way for all of us to be near to God. And consequently, nearer than to, e to each other. Uh, I think, I know there's like kind of a lot of background here, but let me, let me just make a couple of like uh, sort of contextual points and then, then we'll kind of land with, well, well what, what does it mean, matter? Like, what, what does this mean to me? And just a couple things that I think are, are helpful for us to remember. And the first one is, uh, is that this trajectory, 
in Scripture. This move in Scripture is not new here. So Paul is, he's kind of knocking down religious barriers here and ethnic uh, barriers here in, in this move. That what Christ has done is he's, he's redefined sort of how we kind of choose and get to draw the lines, admitting that we're really bad at it, but that Christ is kind of op- opening a, a new way uh, for us to relate to one another. And what I think the background of that is important to know is that God has always been moving in this direction. This is the story of scripture from the beginning in the garden. When we broke relationship with God and each other, God steps in and begins to work and maneuver towards restoring both of those things. Uh, I think I've referenced his work before. His name is Esau Macaulay. He's an African-American New Testament scholar uh, in Chicago, I think, but uh, has, has written a book about, a new book uh, about um, the, the black church in, in, in America and its, uh, its handling of scripture. And he's looking for a way into like, well, you know, he's kind of talking about racial tensions and all those things, but, but he's kind of talking about, again, kind of the interpretation of scripture. And he makes an interesting point in there that, again, I think resonates with what Paul is saying here. And he goes back to uh, the Old Testament. He's making a case for the fact that from the beginning, it had, it, it had always been God's intention to form a people who would not be defined by ethnic or cultural or national boundaries, Right, that, that, uh, so right at the beginning, God calls Abraham. Just, just calls him and says, I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to bless your family. But right from the start, in Genesis, and it's like a series of chapters, it's repeated. One after the other, God says, I'm going to bless you so that I can bless the nations. And that's just one of a series of examples that Macaulay points to as, as, as a, an indication, like from the beginning, God had never intended to kind of limit or define his, his work of grace in the world along ethnic or cultural or national boundaries. Right? Because again, Matt, why are we talking about this? I think it will become clear. But let me see if I can illustrate a present day picture of that uh, kernel. Uh, if, if you go to a number of places, uh, we'll, we'll pick one. I, I chose one, Pew, the Pew Research Institute. Uh, their uh, global statistics for the, for the character, the, the, the complexion of the church, right? the church in the world, uh, on their own sort of breakdown of, of places where it's growing and where, you know, adherence and all of that. L- listen to what they, uh, on, on, the, on their uh, website, again, about sort of this statistical uh, analysis, which I think is interesting. The Christians, they write, are, all, are so geographically widespread, so far flung, in fact, that no single continent or region can indisputably claim to be the center of global Christianity. Right? Admitting the truth that Paul is like trying to help us understand in Ephesians, that, that what Christ has done is knocked down walls in ways we, we, we can't like achieve or understand or work in and of ourselves. Doesn't mean that we're not still broken without divisions, but this picture of, of what Paul is aiming at that what God is going to do through Jesus is not only, is not only bring people to God, but, but together. Uh, so it's kind of one piece, I think, important contextual background. Kind of the last kind of contextual piece I think has some relevance for our moment. And that, and that is uh, this. So right in the heart of our passage, he says, Christ is our peace. He has broken down every wall. Uh, this, this imagery that Christ has come working peace and then speaking it. Uh, I think uh, it's important to note, uh, this isn't just a kind of religious 
personal claim for Paul. That in his day to, to say Christ is, is our peace would have also been a, a political uh, um, move. It would have had, let me put it this way, political kind of ramifications. That, uh, that in, the, in the context and culture of his day, that the, the, the truth that would have sort of permeated all of culture, that would have been on the lips of people, was that uh, the Pax Romana, right? Rome worked peace. The Caesars worked peace, right? Uh, that, that, that Caesar was, was, was our peace. And Rome uh, accomplished that peace through uh, all kinds of means, militaristically, if, if possible, crucifixion to kind of keep things under control. But, but that Rome, uh, Caesar, is our peace. M- much in the same way in the New Testament, when you hear uh, and the, the declaration, as Paul said, that Jesus is Lord, a, a similar kind of move. Well, in his day, no, Caesar is Lord. That was an inscription spoken. And so to, to say that Christ not only is our Lord, but he is our peace was a, a political, uh, or rather it had political implications. I, uh, again, you're like, why is that relevant? Well, well I think... I hope it's helpful for us just to think about uh, what it might mean for you and me to say that Christ is our peace, that it is deeply personal, yes, that he works a restoration of our relationship with, with the Father, yes, but it, but it also has, a, has an outward um, application or expression in our lives. To say that he, he is our peace uh, is to say that we're going to orient our lives uh, around him, that, that, that what he has done will be the defining sort of um, ground from which we engage with everyone, that, uh, uh, that, that his work, his work of peace will be the space from which we engage with, with every other cultural institution, relationship, work, all, all of that. that. That when we make the declaration, he is our peace, yes, it's personal, but, but there is a, a lived sort of space where that finds expression. I I have been uh, reading through another, a fairly new book about the history of Christianity, and specifically, like, it's, it's influence in the West, and kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I, it's been really fun, and uh, I don't know the author is a believer, uh, he's a British historian, but he's, he's writing about it, and there was a section in there, he starts way back, and it's, it's been, you know, kind of fun, but he, he gets to a chapter in, a, I don't know, nerdy kind of way, if you like history, it's been really fun, but, um, but he gets to a section on Paul, actually, uh, and, and the church, uh, and Paul's letters to some other churches, uh, not Ephesians specifically, but other churches wrestling with precisely the same question. What does it mean to have Gentiles and Jews so clearly divided, uh, now under one roof, in the context of the Roman culture and all the Roman gods and the Caesars that bring peace, Caesars are Lord, all that. So he's writing to a people and saying, I know this is where you've lived. Jesus has changed all of that. And uh, uh, Tom Holland, in writing about it, a, a little phrase that has just kind of stuck in my, what's the word? I, I, don't, I don't know what the, there's a cliche I'm looking for here that I can't find. But, uh, but made this observation that uh, Paul encouraging uh, this, this church in Galatia said that for them to believe in Christ, for them to make this declaration, he's Lord, Christ is Lord, not Caesar. Christ is our peace, not Caesar. He said would have, would have, would have been a, 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 a major disruption to the rhythms of their civic life. 
Right? What are you talking about, Matt? Right? We're, we're in like, you know, a politically charged moment and all of that. Uh, interestingly, Paul is telling, uh, uh, this historian's assertion is that, that the message Paul is giving about the work of Christ is disruptive to all the other spheres of belonging we might, we might seek out. And it doesn't like wholesale discredit all of them. Some of them it does, but it does uh, make them all uh, subordinate to the belonging we find in the work of Christ as peacemaker. And, he, and here, Tom Holland was just helpful for me. Something about the way he expressed it, that, that, that to orient our lives in what Christ has done is oftentimes to disrupt all the other places that we, that we go to, to, to belong, right? To, 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 uh, to find kind of that space of togetherness, that, that what Christ has done is disruptive, right? It's, it's disruptive to all of the other ways we have previously found belonging, that in giving us a new way into life together, it kind of disrupts all the other spaces where maybe we, we sought that out. So what, uh, where do we land? Like what, what, what are the implications of all that? We are really good at building walls. Right? I mean, we just... We just are. We're really good. And technology just makes us better at it, right? Like, more efficiently, we are good at building things. We build them ethnically, politically, socially, and economically. We build them uh, sort of on a grand scale and on a minute one in the details and everydayness of our lives. We are really good at building walls. And Paul is telling us in this passage that the hope of the gospel is that somehow Christ, through what he's done on the cross, cuts against that human tendency. That, that what Christ has done redefines, re- reshapes how we relate to God and, and then consequently how we relate to each other. That because of what Jesus has done, there is a new, there's a new bottom line, right? That, that, uh, that all of us, right? It's the admission. All of us are reaching, sort of searching for that way in which to orient our lives and, and, and to kind of help us know life and know it kind of together. And Paul says, Jesus on the cross has, has, has just shifted all of that, changed it. So what, what do we do with this truth? I think, uh, what's our task, right, you and me, in all of this? Uh, again, if, if we were just going to kind of apply it, it, it means, like, what does it mean uh, if we were going to put it in present-day vernacular to have Republicans and Democrats under the same roof, uh, united around the work of Christ uh, and what he has done? Like, what, what does it mean? All the other spheres of belonging that we search for, that's a ready-made one for this week, but there are all kinds of other ones. To have those now reach or oriented around Christ. Well, there's only one uh, command in this passage that is for us. Only one significant sort of verb here of which we uh, are called to act, to be the subject. Everything else is God and Christ. He is the one working. Uh, But right at the beginning, right at the beginning, he he gives us the one thing we're supposed to do. Therefore, remember. Remember. That right from the start, he, he tells us the only thing that we are called to do in, in this space is to, is to re- remember. To remember that we were far off. We were far off. We were distanced. 
that, that, that any change in that status is not a result of our goodness. We're pretty decent people. Not a result of our ability to live up to or into the, the righteousness of the law. Uh, not in any way. Like It has nothing to do with us. To remember that any change in that status is about Christ. But now, Christ. That he is the one who has moved and worked. And I think what Paul understands, and it's often easy for me to forget, particularly the longer we kind of live in the grace of his goodness, uh, it can be a little easier to believe that I got here on my own merits. And that when I live from that place, it's a little bit easy for me to kind of build walls. And Paul is, is pulling us back to the truth that our role in all of this, and yes, he will give us ethical imperatives. They are coming but he is rooting all of that in the foundational truth that Christ is the one who brought us near. He says, remember this, remember this. And here's what I think happens. What's it mean for, for you and me to remember? I think one, one uh, implication is that we start to see the people around us differently, even the people we disagree with. That, that when I live in the place of remembering that I am far from God apart from the gracious work of Christ, I see even the people I disagree with differently. Listen to what Paul says, right? That Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Right? He, he's preaching peace. Like his work, he's, he's taking his work on the cross, what he's done for them. He's, he's taking it to all of them, near and far. What does the world look like, right? What does your, what does your small, uh, last week Kyle, a member in our community, prayed that God would make our world small uh, over Zoom, that he would make it small, that we, uh, in your even small world, what, how different does the world look and the people in it when it is shaded by the memory that you were far off? How does it change how I relate to my neighbor that I might disagree with? My coworker, my family member, my friend, my enemy, right? All the different spheres in which we, we find belonging and step into in community. What, what changes the way that I see them when, when I view them through the work of Christ, regardless of their response to it, when I recognize that he is preaching peace to them? in the same way that he preached it to me because on my own I was far away I think again to use a really present day example it means that before I view anyone through a political lens or any other I see them and myself as one in need of Christ's work and that changes that doesn't mean we agree but it changes the nature of that life lived together and then I think finally it does one last thing. And you guys have been so gracious. Remembering, it helps me relate to others differently. But it also roots me in a, in a hopeful truth that God is the one working. The work is, as we've said over and over again, His. Listen to the last verse of our reading. This is where Paul lands. After all of this sort of, you know, technical background stuff, he says, In Him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Notice what he doesn't say. You also are building something together, 
Again, the subject of the action here is God. He is the one working his peace and goodness in the world. When we mess it up, when we get lost in conflict, when we wander from the way, in the midst of all of our kind of ability or inability to live into his gift of grace, Paul says, God is the one building. He's building. And that says hope to you and me when we can't see it or feel it or experience it, when like maybe you have experienced in your spheres where people feel hopeless and in despair, right? Maybe you feel that tension in your own life that in the midst of all that, Paul gives us the hope that the work is Christ's, that he, he is at work. I, uh, I started with an image of one of my children, and I'm going to give you one more. So around the same time, uh, around this, this one is verbal, not, there's no picture, but around the same time that uh, Penny took off outside, I need some space. Uh, we were kind of talking about the plan, and the girls were like, well, what, what's next? When do we get to go to school? And, you know, I'm ready for the world to be normal. And in the course of that conversation, uh, Adelaide said to us, like, I can't ready to go, I'm ready to go back to school in human. Right? I'm ready to go back in human. And uh, I, I, it's like her expression. I know what she meant, right? But her expression, again, has just lingered with me, right? That, that in our humanness, we are so broken. And, and God has told us through Paul that somehow through what Jesus has done, he's healing humanity. And we might not see it, right? It might, it might seem like way in the, in the distance, right? Like we have a whole history of sort of oftentimes evidence to the contrary, but, but tucked just like the Old Testament, tucked within that long history are stories of God's grace and goodness, evidence that he is at work. The hope of this passage, the work is God's. He's forming a new humanity. He is the one reconciling, bringing people near, bringing peace. It's his work. We are the ones being built. We're not the ones building work is God's. And that means he's working in you. He's working in me and in us together. Online, doesn't matter. He's, he's, he is working. Yours and ours is but to remember. To remember. And that remembering, Paul tells us, that remembering as he'll display throughout the rest of the letter, that remembering will change the way we relate to each other. Not only to God, but the way that we relate Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.